Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Do you really, wait, wait, oh, wait, wait, yeah. wait. What? Do you really think children listen to this? I mean, like, what are we defining as a child? Uh, well, okay, so then, hmm, how can I change it? Uh, a no, child. I, want, I, actually, I want you to tell me. I don't want you to change it. Like, I, 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 I want imagine. you to validate yourself. When here. I think of a child, I mean, when I think of one, I think, like, under 15. But legally speaking, I'm sure they're... There's probably some 18 or under that maybe listen. I've never really thought about this, so we're going to do it live. Like I'm going to think about it right now, and everyone's going to enjoy the pleasure of my thought process. <laughs> all right. All right. Should I start over? No, no, no. This, this is all. This is all in. It's all going in. All right. We're well, doing it live. We fucking we did it live. I just want to know children. Well, tweet us FFT two six zero. Bradley brings to you. The fuck it. Clearly, we're doing it live podcast. Your flagship Dynasty podcast of FFD 260. I am your host, Jared Forrest. You can find me on Twitter at that guy from Jers, Jers with a Z. I'm joined by my co-host who you've already heard from, a representative, I believe, of the Jessica Day division in the SFD8. Mark Leopold, you can find him on the Twitter machine at Leopold NFL. Mark, other than the bullshit that you just gave me in the first five seconds of my intro, what else is going on? Well, actually, I got two things. Oh, because, Jesus, because I'm I'm right out. Straight I want to that. Yeah, I want to finish that thought because I'm going to say to me, a child is 12 or under, and 12. then 13. I'm saying a teenager is different than a child. Okay, that's fair. Teenager to me, like I wouldn't look at somebody that's in. Yeah, I guess at that age, like seventh grade, eighth grade, like that to me is not a child. And, you know, maybe sixth grade is not a child either, but that's a nice dividing line, teenager, 13, 12. I'm going to go with that. So if anyone is 12 or under and listens to this, let us know. I'm curious now. Yeah. And, no num- and number two, yes, Jessica Day Division, New Girl is a fantastic show. Uh, probably not that many listeners watch it, but I highly recommend it. because I am a huge fan of New Girl. Unfortunately, when the divisions came out, I didn't see a Schmidt division request, so that was upsetting. I almost recommended Winston and him and Schmidt. Like, there's so many good characters because you could also have Nick Miller division. I mean, what a show! Or Coach, like the cameo Coach every once in a while. That would have been good. Well, with 900 teams now, I wonder if he's adding new divisions. I may. When we have him on next week, I may request to Scott to throw in a Schmidt division, and I may request a switch from the Charlie Kelly division, even though I'm a huge fan of It's Always Sunny. But when you compare Charlie K- Charlie Kelly to Schmidt, I think Schmidt's one of the greatest characters on TV right now. Oh, he's, he's amazing. Absolutely he reminds, amazing. He kind of reminds, I don't know if you watch Seinfeld at all, but definitely reminds me of Kramer. I don't watch Seinfeld, so would you just... Gloss over that one. Yeah. <laughs> I'll also confess to everybody that I am from the Philadelphia area and I have never seen It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Holy shit. But I can tell you, it does rain there every once in a while and sometimes it's cloudy. So the show lies. <laughs> We're definitely doing it live. We are off the rails real quick, real fast. All right. Back on the rails. Let's do this. We're, we got a uh, We got a fun show. Obviously, we're going to start with the news and notes where I think we have one thing to talk about because it has been a fucking boring week we have news we have one thing i we're gonna it's gonna be glossed over real quick 
Uh, and then we're going to have a quick first round little mock draft where we will talk about the 101, which is consensus. And we will alternate going through our first 12 picks, just talking real quick about them. And then we have some uh, bold predictions from the request of, I believe it was Dynasty Skyler uh, requested it on Twitter. So we each have a couple of bold predictions that we'll throw out there. But starting off with the news and notes, the only one that I really wrote down was that Martavis Bryant report that came out what, a few days ago from the Las Vegas Journal, Las Vegas, some Las Vegas article. Oh, yeah. And, yeah that the Raiders are worried of pending suspension from Martavis Bryant. And then it was big news for about six hours, and we haven't heard anything since. Uh, I don't know what to make of it. I know I posted on Twitter that I am making sure everybody in my league sees that article. And then I'm immediately following that with trade proposals asking for Martavis Bryant. I am buying him absolutely everywhere. Yeah, I mean, he's basically free at this point probably, especially after people see that. So you might as well try to buy him because we know he's got a bunch of upside, and especially on a thinner depth chart in Oakland, I would argue, than in Pittsburgh. The opportunity might be there. So I think that's a fair strategy. If you're a Martavis Bryant owner, just hold tight. You're not going to get much more of those likely, especially after this came out. And I know this is a dynasty podcast, but for redraft, we don't care yet because most people aren't drafting. So at least for the upcoming season, just it doesn't really matter. But dynasty, I would call him a buy at this point. I'm totally with you. Yeah, no, I agree. If you have him, you got to hold. He's not worth shit. In leagues where I bought him, I've gotten him for late thirds. And I think that is a, I mean, that's a must trade. Uh, I was just going to ask you, what's the highest you'd pay? Just like rookie picks, straight up one pick. What was the highest pick you'd get for him? The highest I would give would probably be an early third. Uh, the highest that I have given so far, I think, was the 309. And I didn't even have to think twice about it. That was just someone who was scared of him being, you know, getting that final strike, uh, being suspended for the year again, looking to get some sort of draft capital. And I just like the ceiling. If he just gives you wide receiver three production, he's already paying for that trap for that uh, three oh nine that I traded away. So, well worth it in my eyes. Yeah, I, I think I'd go higher. I'd go probably late second for me. Once the running back well dries up, and for me that's about Kalen Balage and the wide receivers. Once they start to get into more questionable situations, so for me that's after Dante Pettis, Traquan Smith, that area. Um, so that's probably about late second. I'd, I'd pay that for Bryant because at that point you're looking for, you know, maybe Jordan Wilkins who's in a muddy situation, Naheem Hines who's in a muddy situation, Antonio Callaway who maybe will never get on the field depending on whether he can behave himself, DJ Chark, uh, very crowded depth chart, and Deshaun Hamilton might not play right away. So looking at guys with a lot of questions around them, you might as well shoot for one with a ton of upside in Bryant. Yeah, what a lot of people in Dynasty Leagues make the mistake of doing is they don't look at draft picks with names. They just associate numbers with them. And when you put names like that, like the Trey Quinns, Deshaun Hamiltons, and DJ Charks, you know, you got to say that Brian's worth more uh, than than all those guys. And when you put it that way, yeah, I would probably give up uh, a mid, probably more likely a late second. If I give up a mid-second, I probably want a, another draft pick back. Yeah, like, I mean. Like a fourth or something. I'm draft. The last guy I have on my list that I'd probably keep is Traquan Smith, and I'm a little higher than on 
him than consensus. I have him, I think, as my wide receiver nine. So I've got about nine running backs and eight, nine, ten wide receivers before I would trade for Bryant. So for me, that's late second. That's fair. And I think that's generally what you'll find. Uh, it's definitely two different crowds with him, though. There's buyers like me, and then there's sellers who just want to get out for under him, which is fair. Maybe someone who got burned by the Justin Blackmans of the world or something like that. Other than that, as far as OTAs go, typical OTA reports, everybody looks good. That's about it. None of, none of it means dick. Uh, we should not put any stock into any of the reports. Actually, there is one one thing we put stock in. Is, is it Mike Kazeki? No. Well, maybe. Go ahead. The one I'm thinking of is that Terrence West is apparently now a New Orleans Saint. I mean, we don't really care, but what that tells us is that dynasty darling Jonathan Williams probably has no value anymore. Zero because value. Because if they liked him, they wouldn't have signed bum Terrence West. Yeah, zero value. Terrence West is yeah. there for probably four games to fill in while Ingram is not. And it just sucks. I mean, he was – Williams was definitely a dynasty darling. I honestly don't remember where he was going last year. In rookie picks, I would say he was probably going mid-second at his best. Uh, but, yeah, it was just someone that the community as a whole basically struck out on, which which happens, I guess. I struck out on Storm Johnson one year. I still believe in him. It does happen. I mean, Bishop Sankey comes around every once in a while exactly. and haunts everybody. Oof. So, all right, let's move on. This all is right. Yeah, <laughs> no shit. So we'll go ahead and get into the first-round mock draft. Uh, future episodes, probably in a couple of weeks, we'll have rounds two or three get a little bit deeper. Uh, we will both talk about the one-on-one because it is no surprise who we have here. It is Saquon Barkley. And in fact, on the DLF Player Raider pod, I know they had mentioned that his ADP among all of MFL drafts was 1.0, which I have never heard of before. Even with the Zeke draft, you had some Laquan Treadwell uh, shares there over at one overall. But Saquon Barkley, 101, running back for the Giants. Where do you have him ranked as far as a startup goes? Where do you take him? I'm a little more risk-averse than some. So for me, strictly talking about running backs, I have Barkley after Todd Gurley, Le'Veon Bell, David Johnson, and Ezekiel Elliott. And those four guys in no particular order. But I have him after those four and before – I think Alvin Kamara is the consensus fifth running back as far as veterans go. I have him before Kamara. And so your wide receivers, I'd probably take Antonio Brown, Odell Beckham, DeAndre Hopkins. And I'm really high on Mike Evans. I don't, that's where I'd start to consider. I'd probably take Barkley, to be honest with you. So that puts him at about the 8-9 range. Okay. That's, that's that. I, I mean, that's – before the draft, that's more or less where I saw him. After the Giants take him, took him, I see him going much earlier. I've seen him go one-on-one in a couple of startups, which I think is absolutely insane. Agree. Uh, I've, but generally, yeah, I think he's going ahead of David Johnson in a lot, not quite ahead of Gurley, Zeke. And, yeah, and that one doesn't make sense to me. David Johnson is old, but it's, even for an old running back, he doesn't have as much wear there because he hasn't absorbed as many touches at the professional level as a lot of running backs his age. So 
to just look at him and label him with his age is a little bit misleading. So he's got more years left than I think most people expect just based on his age alone. And we've seen him perform at the elite, elite levels that very few running backs have ever performed at. So, I mean, especially on a team where he's essentially the only weapon, I don't know how you don't take David Johnson over Barkley. No, I agree. I, I'm with you. In fact, I think I'm even lower on Barkley uh, just because I like seeing production before going out on a wrist like that. I take Kamara before Barkley. I'm just like you. I am very high on Mike Evans. So I probably take Evans before Barkley. But then you get into some of the rookie running backs of last year. And that's where it gets interesting for me because I've always been really, really high on Joe Mixon. I do take Barkley ahead of him. I take Barkley ahead of Dalvin, definitely ahead of Fournette. Yep. Uh, that's easy. And, and Hunt. But it's, yeah, I have him right at the turn, right at the first, second turn. So if, if you have an early pick and you want him, definitely trade out of the early first and try and grab someone like Barkley in the back of the first. But as far as rookie drafts go, clear 101. Don't think twice about it. Don't get cute. It, it's not worth it. So now we will start alternating. Once again, we're doing it live. We don't know each other's picks. So, Mark, you could start us off with the 102. Who you got? So for me, and there's a lot of debate here between pretty much three guys. For me, it's Rashad Penny. And we'll, we'll get, I'm sure, in the next two picks, we'll get to the other two guys in that Absolutely. conversation. <laughs> but Rashad Penny, to me, checks more boxes than the other two guys. So he was a first-round pick, and I'm not as big of a believer in draft capital as some, but there's definitely some weight behind that, especially considering that Seattle did not have a second-round pick. So they had one pick before the third round, and they used it on Rashad Penny, despite all the holes that they have to fill. So to me, that says a lot about how much they believe in him and how much they plan to use him. And you look around the depth chart, and they've got Chris Carson, who was a seventh-round pick last year, C.J. Procise, who might actually threaten for some work and passing downs if he can stay healthy, but that is the big question with him. Uh, And then Mike Davis, I think he's still on the roster, but he's pretty much a bum at this point. He was good last year. I'll give him that, but he's definitely no threat to, to Penny. So Penny will see heavy workload in an offense led by Russell Wilson. So they should be scoring plenty. And that defense is pretty much in tatters relative to where it was a few years ago. So they'll get scored on plenty, which means they'll have to keep putting up points in the second half and they won't be blowing teams out. So all that's good. The offense will score a lot of points, which will put Penny in scoring positions. And there's really not a back on the roster that I think will threaten him for goal line touches. And all that aside, if CJ Procise is healthy, he might lose some passing down work. But the same can be said about a lot of these other guys. And if he's not healthy, Penny can play the role of a three-down back. I mean, we saw it at San Diego State. He racked up enormous numbers um, and played in that offense in all phases of the game. So while he's not an elite pass catcher the way Saquon Barkley is, he's he's capable and he can be used in that aspect. And obviously the big knock on him is pass protection. But for me, if C.J. Procise is not healthy, he's a much better pass catcher than the other guys. And blocking doesn't score you fantasy points. So – I'd like to see them put him out and just have him run, run out and go uh, run some pass routes rather than standing in the block. And Russell Wilson is mobile enough that 
I don't think they really need to deploy him as a blocker. So I think he'll be used heavily. And the one thing I'm pretty confident of is he will accrue value in year one because of his usage and production. So if nothing else, even if you don't like Rashad Penny, you could probably pick him now here and trade him for more next year. Yeah, so he is not my 102. Um, he, he would have been a little bit farther down, but I agree with a lot of the things you said. He's already the running back one on the Seattle depth chart uh, from ourlads.com. Seattle already came out and said he's going to get the three-down work. Uh, you're looking at an RPO offense, which generally provides success for the running back, and I personally think that they'll have an upgrade in blocking with Jimmy Graham gone. But you mentioned something that I want to touch on. That defense is not good anymore. That defense is, uh, like I think you said, a shell of what it used to be, which I agree with. So I expect Seattle to be trailing a lot. And while Pete Carroll came out and said that Rashad Penny is going to be a three-down back, C.J. Procise is a very, very good pass-catching back. And for argument's sake, I'm just going to assume that C.J. Procise is going to still be the third-down back. And if they're trailing in a lot of games, I just think that that's going to hurt Penny's value enough. That's why I, I had two guys ahead of him. Uh, but, I mean, it's this is a second tier on its own. There's three guys. I wouldn't be mad at anybody for taking Penny here. I think it's a solid pick. And I do agree with you that I think he'll be worth uh, quite a bit as far as trade value goes at the end of the year. Uh, with the 103... I had it between, uh, again, the same three guys that I'm sure you had. And I'm going to take Darius Geis here. He was my 102, so I'm glad that you skipped over him. He was my 102 before the draft. I'm not going to change it just because of his landing spot. I love his running style. It kind of scares me at times because I feel like he could get hurt. But is what it is. He has a clear path to a two-down roll at least with uh, Smadre P. Ryan being just about – uh, worthless now he has three down upside i think he's a much better receiver than people give him credit for however chris thompson is still an extremely good third down back however i wouldn't be surprised to see him as a cap casualty next year especially if guys proves that he could handle the three down work chris thompson while his base contract isn't a lot with his bonuses and signing bonuses i believe the Redskins can clear something like six million if they're close to this to the uh, to the cap, which they generally always are, so this is more of a long term look at things, and I I think that Geis is along the same lines as Penny as far as he's going to produce to the point where his value is just going to grow. Um, I, I I think that Washington's line is okay. The thing that scares me is that I don't see them leading many games, so I see Chris Thompson getting a lot of work, much like he did last year before he got injured. But this is just me going with the guy who had, I had ranked at 102 before the draft. Yeah, and I think I've seen probably more people than the other two players with Geis as the 102. I think he's probably the most popular decision, and I have no problem with that. I agree. Pretty much everything he said there, he's on a, a decent offense. He's going to get a lot of work, and obviously he's very talented on his own. And he was essentially the consensus 102 before the draft. So Absolutely. Going to Washington didn't really hurt his draft stock that much, in my opinion, at least for fantasy. For me, it was just more that Penny got a bump, but 
Uh, I'm really not worried about him falling a little bit in the draft or going after some of these other guys or having Thompson there. I think he'll still get plenty of work and uh, Washington should score enough points that he'll have goal line opportunities too. So yeah. No problem with that one bit. You're going to finish out this tier. Yeah. So yeah. I think we both agree here that three players are in the second tier after Barkley, uh, Penny Geis, and then who I'm going to take at 104 here. I actually have him as 103, and I have Geis at 104. Uh, so I know you're a little bit higher on Geis there, having him as your 102. Uh, but for me, it's Sony Michelle. Yeah. Uh, the the narrative surrounding him seems to be that it's a bad thing that he went to the Patriots, but I don't understand that because the Patriots are a prolific offense and usually finish near the top of the league in scoring. Uh, for pretty much like almost 10 years running or something. They're in the top five or something like that. And you can fact check that if you want to, but they are a high scoring offense and they do it year in and year out. So the narrative that that's a bad thing for a running back doesn't really add up. And you got to consider also, I think the running backs that they normally deploy uh, are usually guys that they get on the cheap. And so to invest the first round pick in Sony Michelle. Uh, especially from a team that I think you'd least expect to draft a running back that early. Um, that says a lot to me. So I, I don't see a situation where they don't use him heavily. And on the Patriots, heavily means maybe 15 touches a game, not necessarily 20. But for a running back that was crazy efficient in college, I mean, just look at his yards per carry in the SEC. It was over seven one year, which is nuts in that conference. Um, for a running back that's efficient, you don't need more than 15 touches to be productive. Just look at Alvin Kamara. In a good offense, he was efficient with his touches, and he found the end zone. And those are all things that you can say about Sony Michelle for for 2018 and likely beyond that, is that he'll probably find the end zone plenty because the Patriots will score. Uh, he'll be used creatively in space, so he'll be efficient with his touches, and he will get, I think, plenty of work as well. Um, so even if he's around that 15-touch mark, there's really nothing not to like in my mind. And he's obviously a good pass catcher as well. Uh, he wasn't used as much as some people seem to make him out to have been used at Georgia. Just looking at his, his reception totals, I think spells that rumor a bit, but he's definitely still good in the passing game, just watching him on film. So that's a plus as well. And obviously I think we'll see some Rex Burkett, some James White, but Michelle's not going to be a two down grinder and he's not going to be a guy that gets eight to 10 touches a game especially with the draft capital they spent on. Yeah, no, he's my 103 as well. So me and you only have Geis and Penny switch, but the the I have it in bold right here in something that I typed out. I said draft capital equals investment, and you basically stole the words right out of my mouth, is that I could not disagree with the consensus more that this is a bad spot. This is a great spot uh, for exactly the reasons that you said. And the proof is that the draft capital that they spent on a position that they never spend capital on, they're going to utilize them. Rex Burkhead and James White do worry me as far as their pass catching ability goes. Jeremy Hill and Mike Gillisley do not worry me. So I think Sonny Michelle will get plenty of opportunity. The one thing that's been brought up in the Twitter world that I guess can be um, argued here is his uh, fumbling problem and Belichick's, uh, the way he kind of puts running backs in the doghouse if they continue to fumble. That scares me, but that's something that you could teach. I mean, you see running backs all the time that start to hold the ball higher and they don't fumble nearly as much as they did. So if that's what you're worrying about and that's why you're dropping him several spots in your draft, then you're doing it wrong. Uh, I yeah. think 
It is a good a good point though, and something I'm not sure. It seems like it's a pretty strong narrative around him, but just if you don't realize, his fumble rate was very high in college. Uh, you know, almost double some of these other backs. So it's definitely a concern, especially with the way the Patriots view fumbling and how quickly they are to bench a player that fumbles. Uh, word is he's already put one on the ground in training camp or OTAs. So that's not a good sign, but assuming he can get that straightened out, there's a lot to like. Yeah. Um, so as we mentioned, I think that's a tier after the Barkley. So we're on to tier three now, and it just gets gross after this. Not gross as in talent. Thinks there's still a lot of talent to be had, but there are eight guys here that I think can go anywhere from 105 to 112, and I don't think ADP um, really – Sums it up real well because you'll have different players going in different drafts and you'll have a hundred different combinations in a hundred different drafts. We have uh, for the 105, it's my turn, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I'm going to go with Nick Chubb because in a different scenario, I really think he could have been my 102. If he were to go to somewhere like, Let's just say he, him and Sonny Michelle switched spots. I, I think Chubb would have been my 102. But with that being said, the, he had a ridiculous combine, which was big for him because everybody was worried about his knee. So uh, the combine proved that he's pretty healthy. He had one of the greatest college running back seasons ever as a freshman, which people tend to forget about because of that horrific injury that he had his sophomore year. Yeah, I got to be patient with this one. He's not going to get his opportunity. He's not going to be in your starting lineup this year. Not with Carlos Hyde there. Not with Duke Johnson uh, signed long term. Now you got to look at Chubb as that two down, you know, thumper. That's that's what he's going to be after this year when they let Hyde go. He's going to be a first and second down running back on a what I think is going to turn out to be a pretty solid offense. So with that being said, with the rest of the running backs on the board, and you can make an argument for someone else, but. I, just, I like Chubb too much here. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with that. I mean, you talk about Saquon Barkley tearing up the combine. Chubb was basically with him step for step. So he's also one of the most athletic running backs in the league, and he hasn't even set foot on an NFL field yet. And, you know, you make a lot of good points about how he might not be used in year one. And For me, that's usually a red flag for running backs because they typically have shorter careers and you want them to accrue value right away by getting on the field and – you know, it's not a steep learning curve. So you want guys that will produce right away. But Chubb, I think he's going to be one of those guys that we know it's coming because they have Hyde. And I wouldn't be surprised if they just run Hyde into the ground because they've only really got him for one year. Uh, I think there's almost no chance he's back in 2019. So Chubb, I think it's going to be one of those guys that we'll look back a year from now and he'll hold his value even if he doesn't get on the field much and produce much just because everybody knows, you know, he was – behind Hyde this year. They pretty much took advantage of that situation. And, you know, I think Chubb might be like the Joe Mixon where he just didn't get used to his full potential. And we all know what's coming. So I see that potentially as his situation going into next year. I like that comp, not as comp as far as the profile of the player goes, but the situation, I think that's really, really good. And the difference, I mean, you can see it with Joe Mixon now. His ADP hasn't dropped at all. People know that he's coming. It's going to happen. Uh, so yeah, that, that's good. I, I like that a lot. I think that Nick Chubb is still going to be worth an early first as far as draft capital goes next year. Is that who you had at one Oh five? 
It, it's close. Um, okay. For me, I'm tempted to go with the guy that I think will produce more in year one. I really like Chubb, so I, I would wrestle with myself back and forth for the entire pit clock if I was on the clock <laughs> with these guys. Um, so for me, what do we have? 106 here. 106. I'm going to go Royce Freeman, and he's the other guy I'd consider to be Chubb or Freeman, and it's, it's damn close. So Freeman, for me, walks into one of the best situations for running back in this draft. Um uh, outside of a guy that we'll talk about shortly. But Denver has a decent offensive line there. They've been working to improve that. They added Case Keenum, which will be a significant upgrade to the offense. So like we talked about with some of these other guys, they'll get down in the red zone. They'll sustain drives. They'll be able to score. So that'll give him some scoring opportunities. Uh, they've got a good wide receiver group. So that'll help keep drives going on third downs. And the other thing for me, I mean, Freeman, like Rashad Penny, was a true workhorse at the college level. Just look at his raw totals. I mean, they relied on this guy in every phase of the game uh, with a ton of touches, and that's the big downside of him is the mileage that he has coming into the NFL and also the fact uh, – if I fuck this up, I'm sorry. He stayed four years at Oregon, right? Yeah. Yeah, so he had an extra year with all those touches. And he did have a season over 2,000 yards, which is nuts, but – that said, he's got a lot of mileage. But anyway, back to Denver. So they've got a good offense. They've got an ascending offense. They've got a decent offensive line. And the other thing that really stands out to me is they don't have a tight end of consequence, really. They've got Jake Butt, who might Jake break Butt. out. They've got Troy Fumagalli, who we don't really know what to expect because he didn't test at the combine. Uh, so we don't really know a lot about either of these guys in terms of their NFL profile. So some of those short routes might be run by running backs and particularly Royce Freeman, because we know, I think everything we need to know about Devonte Booker at this point. And they cut CJ Anderson after last season, after riding him, even though they had Booker on the roster, Booker's been inefficient when they've given him chances and they go out and they spend pretty decent draft capital on a running back. So I think we know everything we need to know about Devonte Booker and how Denver feels about him at this point. And they've also got the, Rookie from last year, D'Angelo Henderson. They didn't really spend anything on him, so uh, I don't think he's of much consequence and not much to worry about there. So Freeman, I think, comes into a pretty comfortable spot at the top of the depth chart. Should see plenty of touches, and I don't think there's really that much competition in the backfield. And the lack of a tight end, I think, also helps with him potentially running some of those shorter pass routes, being involved in the passing game. Yeah, I like Royce Freeman. He was my 107 um, if he was still there. I agree. The opportunity is going to be there. Uh, the depth chart, they still have Devontae Booker as the RB1, but that obviously can change. He's not that talented. Royce Freeman is somewhat talented. I think Elway came out yesterday and said that they plan to be a run-first offense, which is good for Royce Freeman, considering I really like Denver's wide receiving uh, core with some of the young guys that they have. Like you said, Royce is a workhorse. I mean, you you hit on all the points. We are six picks in, and we have yet to see any position other than a running back. I'm going to go ahead and change that. With the 107, I believe we're at, I'll take take DJ Moore. He was not my wide receiver one going into the draft, but he leapfrogged a couple of guys. I love, love, love his landing spot. I don't think he has much to beat out. His measurables are absolutely insane. He's going to beat out Torrey Smith. Torrey Smith is bad at football. 
I think Funches is definitely the X there. He had a decent year last year. Curtis Samuel is going to be coming back from injury, possibly with that ligament damage in his ankle. Hopefully he comes back because he's incredibly fun to watch. And I just imagine that this team is going to be throwing nonstop. I know they got C.J. Anderson, but D.J. Moore lined up on the other outs- on the outside with Funches and Olsen and Curtis Samuel. You're not going to be able to double cover him. He's going to beat most cornerbacks right off the line. Uh, I, I get Cam is inaccurate, but uh, DJ Moore can go up and get it, man. He, he's he's a talented wide receiver. I like him a lot. He he was my wide receiver three um, before the draft started, moved him out to wide receiver one, and I think this is where I take him. Yeah, um, it might be a slot or two early for me just with some of the running backs left, but he's – I think a clear cut wide receiver one for me. Uh, so I don't have a problem with that at all. I agree with a lot of things you said. He's going to be, I think, immediately in a starting job. Uh, I like Funches, so I think we'll see two main targets at the wide receiver position. We'll see what happens with Curtis Samuel, but uh, I think there are plenty of targets to be had for him, although maybe not this year because he's still got Christian McCaffrey who's going to command quite a few targets. Sure. And Greg Olson's coming back, which – you know, he wasn't there last year, so there was more to go around for some of the receivers. So DJ Moore is a guy that might lose some value or at least might not get on the field and produce in year one. But at the same time, wide receivers tend to hold their value decently even if they don't produce. Absolutely. So I'm okay with that as long as he stays healthy. Uh, I think he has a very bright future. There's no doubt about that. And I think he does what Cam needs him to do, which is catch inaccurate passes. And if you haven't seen his quarterback play at Maryland, just go watch some film on him go over to draft breakdown and just, just watch how their quarterbacks play because it is God awful. So fucking bad. Oh my God. Like Trevor oh. Simeon. Bad. No, worse than Trevor Simeon. Bad. Osweiler Brock. Oh God. Osweiler bad. I mean, just, it shows the athleticism that DJ Moore has. There's, he has some acrobatic catches there where he just goes up and gets him. Uh, it, it's, I, I hate the comp. I think were people comping him to Stefan Diggs? Be, just yeah, because he went to, to the, yeah, it's just, he went to the same college. I think that's a, lazy comp. I don't really know who to comp him to because his measurables are very unique. Um, but with that being said, are you going to take us back to the running backs? Yeah, I am. But okay. I do want to make one point because a lot of people will just immediately write off comps of players that went to the same school as lazy. And in this case, I agree. So I, I don't want to have it taken the wrong way. But, you know, like Derek Henry and Bo Scarborough, for example, or – Sammy Watkins, Martavis Bryant, Mike Williams, like a lot of these Clemson receivers. It's not necessarily lazy because if you think about a college coach recruiting, they look for a certain type of player a lot of, in a lot of cases. So I don't think it's weird to expect that Alabama has a lot of running backs of the same type of mold or that Clemson has a lot of wide receivers that look very similar and play a very similar style. So for everybody out there, like, just don't assume it's lazy because it's the same school because it's very possible that these schools and college coaches are trying to recruit the same type of player over and over and over. So not necessarily lazy, but, yeah, DJ yeah. Moore for me, very different than stuff. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, one example that, that I really liked coming to this year was James Washington comp to Des. I like that one a lot. Uh, and they both went to Oklahoma State. But I got the player profile up for both these players, and it's incredibly different. I mean – DJ Moore ran – okay, so the, the 40, DJ Moore was in the 89th percentile. Stefan Diggs was in the 77th. But there are things like burst score where Stefan Diggs was in the 32nd percentile. DJ Moore was in the 94th. 
uh, catch radius. Stefan Diggs was in the 36th percentile. DJ Moore was in the 88th. So come on. DJ Moore had a breakout age of 18.4. Okay, so Stefan Diggs was 18.6. So that's close. But uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. College, so college dominator, DJ Moore, 97th percentile. Stefan Diggs, 71st. Stop with this comp just because of the same height. That's it. There's a 15 pound difference there that you can't comp those people. So DJ Moore, don't comp him to Stefan Diggs, completely different receiver. Yeah, I mean, look no further than the weight because a lot of people, well, maybe not a lot, but some people were suggesting that DJ Moore should become a running back, which I thought was silly, but at the same time, he had the body type. Yeah, he's shaped like one. Bigger guy for sure. Stefan Diggs, not a big guy. No. All right. Who's, uh, what are we up to? 108. Right? Yeah. Eight. I got the evens. So I'm going to do Ronald Jones here, and he is, let me just say, not a player that I actually like. but at the same time, at a certain point, every player is worth it. And this is the point to me where he becomes worth it because he's going to see early opportunity. And so he's another one of those guys. If absolutely nothing else, even if you hate the player, maybe you hate the Bucks, maybe you just don't like guys with dreadlocks or whatever. But Ronald Jones will probably accrue value this year. So if I draft him at 108 this time next year because I think he's very likely to get on the field early, see a lot of opportunity and produce early – you could probably trade him next year for more than 108. And in a Bucks offense that a lot of people are expecting to break out, including myself, uh, we expected it last year, but this year for sure, right? And, you know, you got an ascending young quarterback in Jameis Winston. You got one of the better wide receiver cores, in my opinion. You got Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Deshaun Jackson, who's not dead yet, despite what the fantasy mm-hmm. community seems to think. And they drafted one of my favorite wide receivers in this class, Justin Watson. So they got a good group there, and they got two really nice tight ends, Cameron Brait and O.J. Howard, who's, uh, you know, RIP in terms of fantasy. But anyway, two good tight ends, several good wide receivers, good young quarterback, decent enough offensive line. So it should be a very good offense. And the running back uh, situation there in Tampa is pretty favorable to a guy that's coming in as a second-round draft pick. You know, Peyton Barber is – a lower draft capital kind of guy, two down grinder, definitely not going to threaten in the passing game. Uh, and he's, you know, he's fine. He's maybe slightly above average, but he's nothing special. And Ronald Jones, oh, I don't think he's anything special either. He's at least fast and explosive. And we're assuming he's fast because of his college tape, because we know when he ran at his pro day, he was not hundred percent with that hamstring injury. So we're just going to assume based on his tape that he's fast, because I think that's reasonable. And, even though he wasn't used as much in the passing game in college as you might expect, I think he's going to get that work in the Bucks offense because he's going to have to. So you got to like that. And I think the opportunity will be there for him to produce early, which is one thing that I really look for absent anything else to like. Yeah, this is way before I would take Ronald Jones. I have him at the back of the first round, if he even makes it to the first round for me. Oh, um, I thought I was low on him. I mean, I've seen him go and, 105 usually somewhere around there yeah no I have, i'm not I touching him there i personally have him at 112 so wow. this is one of those cases where i don't think i'll own any shares of him just because people are willing to take him <laughs> i will be five 106 and yeah i'm not i'm not gonna reach that high i'll i'll if i'm at 105 i'll trade back for someone who wants to reach for him uh, i don't think he's that talented like you said 
I still think that Charles Sims is the pass catching back there. So I don't even think Jones is going to be a three down back. And over the past few years, they've shown that they kind of trust Jacquez Rogers with the ball. So I wouldn't even be surprised to see him catch the ball, uh, see him run the ball more. I think Jones will get his opportunity. I don't think he's going to produce that well with it. I don't, I didn't look up their numbers, but I don't think the Bucks' offensive line is very good. I think they're going to be down a lot, so they're going to be utilizing that uh, great wide receiving core that you mentioned. Uh, with Evans, Humphreys, Jackson. I love Godwin. Love Justin Watson. So many, almost too many mouths to feed there. But uh, and Bray, um and OJ Howard. But I don't. I just I'm not a believer in Ronald Jones. Like you said, you can't really look at his metrics because of that injury that he had during his pro day. Uh Nah, just doesn't doesn't do it for me. So I'm glad you took him there because <laughs> yeah, that, a lot of things not to like. Yeah, that at the same time, I think he'll get early opportunity, and that's worth a lot. But that's fair. That's fair. That but that allows me at the 109 to go ahead and take go ahead and go back to the running backs and take Carry On Johnson. Yeah, uh, running back for the Lions. I think he falls around here for most drafts, regardless of who goes before or after him. Uh, running back out of Auburn, six foot, six, six foot, six foot, 213 pounds, uh, has a patient style to him. I know he got a lot of that Le'Veon Bell. Whenever a running back is patient, everybody comps him to Le'Veon Bell, which is ridiculous. Yeah, that one's dumb too. Yeah. So, but he is patient, um, behind the line, had a few injuries at Auburn, but played through them a lot. And you talk about opportunity. I think this is similar to what Ronald Jones has at Tampa where he has a pass catching back there where Ronald Jones has Charles Sims and carry on Johnson has Theo Riddick, even though I do think Theo Riddick is much better than Charles Sims. And then there's an incumbent back where the Bucks have Jock Riz Rogers. The lions have, I guess, Amir Abdullah. Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> or Garrett Blunt is a thing, I guess. Uh, I just, I know they came out and said that they plan on having a committee. I don't think that's going to last long. The thing that, scares me with carry on Johnson, especially in the first year might be losing those goal line touches to blunt. And then obviously he's going to lose third down touches to Riddick, but Amir Abdullah is a free agent after this year. Like Garrett Blunt was only signed to a one year deal. So this is something like what I was mentioning with guys earlier where, or with Chubb even, if yeah. you want to be patient, then I like carry on Johnson here for his value. Uh, I don't think he's going to be someone like Chubb where people know what's coming. I think he might, fly under the radar a little bit and you could uh try and trade you know maybe an early second for him next year and i think it'll be worth it but right now i think around the 108 109 i think that's a good spot for him yes yeah, pretty much exactly where i'd take carry on johnson too it, for me he's really close with ronald jones and i think they're both in decently similar situations they'll get opportunity early but it's a matter of how much and you know, who comes back next year and that kind of thing. And they're both in decent offenses in my mind. So there's not too much to separate those two guys. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah. I, I do like both those offenses. I think they're going to have a lot of scoring opportunities. Yeah. All right. So to the 110, I'm going to break out of running backs here and I'm going to go Christian Kirk. Oh, uh, he's, he's my, yeah. No, come on. Come on. <laughs> he's my wide receiver too here. And I know your guy, he's not even my three. So I'll let you take him next. But ah, thanks. Christian Kirk, a lot of things to like about him. I mean, he he profiles as a really strong slot receiver. He's got the measurables, very quick. 
Uh, he's got good hands, doesn't drop balls very much, and you know he produced at the college level in the SEC. So a lot of things to like in terms of college production and athletic measurables. And the other thing for wide receivers that I think helps a lot of situation. And to a lot of people, that means early opportunity, as we've talked about extensively with running backs. And Kirk, I'm not sure the early opportunity will be there. And I think we mentioned this before. Some people say that they'll see him playing on the outside while Fitzgerald mans the slot. But I'm not convinced of that. You know, So we'll see. And I'm not really worried about it either way. If he gets on the field, that's even better. But I'm just going to assume, worst case here, that he doesn't really get on the field much his rookie year. And so to me, that gives him a year to sit behind Larry Fitzgerald, learn from one of the best to ever do it. And then for the next three years, you've got him tethered to Josh Rosen. So you know the quarterback situation. I think David Johnson will be around for at least most of those years. And you know they're building the offense now around Rosen. Kirk's going to be one of those core pieces that they're building around as well. So uh, lots of like, maybe not right off the bat, but his long-term outlook to me is very good because he's going to be a core part of that offense and he's going to be one of the most established weapons with Josh Rosen, uh, which is something you can't really measure, but that certainly can't hurt. And so on a team with an offense that's now built around those weapons, I think that will help and we'll see what happens with the running back situation. But if David Johnson stays, I think that helps too. Yeah. uh, You had some good points. Kirk personally for me is not in my first round. So uh, he's probably falling around wide receiver four or five for me. Uh, you mentioned some of the things. He is going to be behind Fitz just because I can't see him playing on the outside. If he could play on the outside, that'd be great because all they have there, I believe, is Chad Williams and Bryce Butler, Bryce Butler J.J. Nelson. So if they, could, if they could groom him to play on the outside, you could see his target share you know, double in, in year one. So that could be huge. But I, I see him as a slot guy. It's good that he has a young quarterback to grow with, with Rosen. He just doesn't impress me. And oddly enough, you know who player profile has him as his best comp? No, I don't. Stefan Diggs. <laughs> so, I'm, not, I'm not sure I quite agree with that one. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> that's pretty funny. We were just talking about uh, DJ Moore. So there you go. Perfect example of why DJ Moore is not Stefan Diggs and Christian Kirk. Apparently is. Uh, I don't see the talent quite there i guess in as far as metrics goes he may be the best comparable but that's fair like i like we said at this range you could have five six seven different players and while i always preach best player available when it's a clusterfuck like this if it's team need and you gotta go for a wide receiver then go ahead now no one's you know if you take christian kirk here above someone like ronald jones no one's gonna crucify you for that so have at it. Me personally, I'm gonna go ahead and stick with wide receivers with the next pick. But I'm gonna head it, and I'm taking Calvin Ridley, who's my wide receiver too. Uh, I love his landing spot. While he's definitely on the older side, um, as far as rookies go, uh, I believe his age is he's gonna be 24 during the season this year. He's gonna take over that outside uh, spot across from Julio, which is always good. Julio is going to demand double coverage. He's going to have that safety over the top as well as the top-tier cornerback. Sanu, I think, is going to be in the slot, which opens it up for Ridley. He's one of the crispest route run- I think the crispest route runner in this uh, in this draft. And you talk about comps as far as route running goes and only route running. 
He reminds me of Mari Cooper. So there's that Alabama connection there. That is as far as the comps go, as far as these two wide receivers. Because other than that, Calvin Ridley absolutely tanked at the combine. Uh, he has decent hands. The the, uh, the dominator rating isn't there. The breakout age isn't there. For me, it's a lot of landing spot on a high-powered offense in a where he's going to be facing some second-tier defenses. That's all it really comes down to. Yeah, I mean, you can explain away a lot of the college production there. He did rack up a thousand yard season, which is impressive because he didn't have great quarterback play for some of his career at Alabama. Uh, so, I mean, he still had an impressive career, I think, no doubt. And he's a guy I'm lower on than most, but I don't have a problem with taking him here because one thing I've been preaching all episode is early opportunity. He absolutely has that. So, Calvin really, I think, very likely to ascend in value this year. So, nothing, nothing wrong with that in my mind at all. So where are we at? We're at are we at the end of the first? Yeah, we are at the twelve here. So before I make the actual pick, who's your twelve given all the guys that are off the board? Well, so there are two players that have not been said yet that would round out my first, and that yeah. is uh, well, Ronald Jones is my twelve, but before that, at one ten, I have Cortland Sutton, and at one eleven, I have Mike Gazicki. Okay, so the guy I'm picking is neither of those. So <laughs> yeah, it's nice that we got that out there. Cortland Sutton, he's just outside for me because I'm not convinced he'll see that early opportunity and the guy I'm going to take just a few slots ahead of him will. So for me, it's Michael Gallup uh, because even including DJ Moore, I think there's only one wide receiver in this rookie class that has a chance to lead his team in targets in year one. And it's Michael Gallup because DJ Moore, somebody's going to be ahead of him in my mind, whether it's Funchess, Olsen or McCaffrey. Moore will probably not finish number one. But Michael Gallup goes to a team that's featuring Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, Jason Witten's gone, so they don't really have a tight end of consequence. And then from the wide receiver group, we've got Alan Hearns. you got Terrence Williams. Uh, they got rid of Ryan Switzer. Cole Beasley's still there. So it's Hearns, Terrence Williams. <laughs> yeah, the web back. Yeah. Do you know where that came from, by the way? Fun fact I, here. I, I don't. Web is whatever back. No shit. Yeah, not kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at their depth chart now. Oh, it's brutal. Oh. Yeah, Alan Hearns, Terrence Williams, Cole Beasley, Katie Cannon. Holy shit! I had no idea the Cowboys had Katie. Here's your wide receiver one. Dynasty darling, Katie Cannon. I love Katie Cannon. Everybody loves Katie Cannon. He ain't gonna make the roster. I also like Ishmael Zamora. That was an interesting Baylor group there that came out and both. Yeah, did I love Ishmael Zamora. Anyway, yeah. so I'm going to take Gallup here because he's incredibly versatile and he was used in pretty much every way at Colorado State. Uh, he can pretty much do it all. He can run every route. Uh, he's got good hands. He's athletic enough to go up and get the ball. You know, he's not huge. He's not a big alpha dog, but he's he's going to be one of those guys that they can pretty much use however they want to. Uh, so obviously that's a coach's best friend right there. Um, and he really has a chance to lead this team in targets because it's just so thin at wide receiver. So to me, it's more of a situation thing than anything. I really liked Gallup beforehand, but he shot up my draft board after landing with the Cowboys uh, because they have a decent enough offense and they have such a thin wide receiver depth chart that I think he's just going to be force fed targets. And I think he's going to start day one. We've seen some rumblings about that from the, uh, the Cowboys, from Jerry Jones. So we'll see what actually happens, but that wouldn't surprise me one bit to see him starting on, uh, on day one. Yeah, I like Gallup. Uh, for me, before the draft, he was a late second round pick. Before the, I mean, for everybody, I'm sure. 
he uh, definitely yeah. shot up into the late first, early second round at least. But with that being said, I look at Gallup as someone who I would like to draft this year and then trade immediately after he has three or four games of, you know, 100 yards and a touchdown each. Because I just I don't think the value is going to stay there with him. I think they're going to address the wide receiver position again, either in the offseason or at the draft, just because this wide receiving core is shit. Seems like they've got to, right? I agree with yeah. that. Uh, so at, I'm looking to trade him in the middle of the year to the maybe to the Prescott owner to see if he wants to stack him or something like that and maybe get you know get a early or mid-round first and like a third or try and get your draft capital back in return that you spent on him. But I really – you can't – again, you can't blame anybody for taking him here just because of the opportunity share that you had mentioned before. Yep, and it's totally okay in my mind to, to draft players with the intent to trade them later on. I mean, you don't have to draft these guys thinking you're going to keep them for 10 years. So while it might not pan out, you know, nothing's a guaranteed thing in fantasy football. So drafting with that intent I don't think is a problem at all. No, that's I think that's one of the one of the key things that you have to think about during your rookie draft is not so much is this is the best fit for my team, but what's what do the other owners in the league value him as and what can I get from him later on? I mean, if you're deep at wide receiver and Michael Gow is the best player available, take him, trade him, and then you'll just, you know, you'll fill in the needs as it comes along. But uh, that wraps up our first round. Did we have anybody, do you have anybody in your top 12 that we did not mention? Uh, let's see. I'm trying to make sure I got 12 here. No, I didn't because I've got the running backs through carry on Johnson, and okay. then I've got the receivers that we covered up through Ridley, who I have behind Gallup, but we had all, all 12 of my guys, just not necessarily in order. And I have Corlett Sutton right outside. So you had no tight ends, obviously no quarterbacks in your first round. Nope, none of them. That's fair. I think Gizeki, especially once uh, – I mean, if you have a late rookie draft, like my home league, we draft on Labor Day every year. Uh, I think Gizeki's going to have a good preseason. I think he's going to show up a little bit. I, I see him getting into the late first round, especially if you have a team that's tight end needy. But with that being said – we're going to move on to a fun part of the show and our second segment. We each have three bold predictions, hopefully real bold. Otherwise, it'd be pointless. And I believe – did you mention that you're writing an article about this, actually? Yeah, so I'm actually working on a piece for Gridiron Experts as we speak. I have nine of my ten bold predictions for the article down. So I'm just going to cherry pick a few of those. We'll talk through them a little bit and uh, see some of yours as well. Yeah, so I, I try to go with different position groups. So I have a running back, a quarterback, and a wide receiver here. And uh, I don't think I've heard any of these mentioned yet. I know a lot of a lot of uh, podcasts try and get their full predictions out early. I don't think anybody has said these, but if they have, oh, well, I guess it's not that bold. Fuck me then. Do you want to go first or you want me to go first? Uh, your call. You're the host. Uh, since you have – so many. I will go first just to ensure that you don't use the same player as I did. How about I that? like that. I like that. That's a good idea. So I'll go with the running back first. Everybody knows the love I have for the athlete, Joe Mixon, not so much the person. My bold prediction, Joe Mixon will be a top three running back, trailing only Todd Gurley and David Johnson this year. I think he's going to have 1,200 rushing yards, 400 receiving yards, 15 touchdowns, top three running back. He's going to be a top five startup draft next year, startup pick in startup drafts next year. 
I mentioned this, I think, in every podcast, so might be beating a dead horse here. It's going to be a run-first team. I don't think that that wide receiving core is is good enough outside of A.J. Green to be throwing the ball as much as they do. They got a new offensive line coach from Dallas. They drafted Billy Price, the center. They traded for Cordy Glenn. They're building around Joe Mixon. The guy is talented. That's your real Le'Veon Bell comp. He has athleticism. He has the patience. Top three running back. Write it down. Let's go. I like that. That's a good one. I, I think it's bold, right? That's pretty bold. I mean, yeah. more <laughs> more bold than I'm willing to go with Mixon, even though okay. I'm a big fan. But at the same time, it could happen. It could absolutely happen, especially with the running back position and having a lot of injuries. So I like it. I'll go running back here. So okay. I'm just going to follow you position-wise in that way. If I had something similar for wide receiver, I won't take yours. So Perfect. Let me give you one for running back here. It's going to be – Rashad Penny, who's currently being drafted as the RB18, will outscore Kareem Hunt, who's being drafted as the RB7. And this is PPR, PPR, obviously. Okay. So, and I think it comes down to a lot of very simple premises here. Kareem Hunt was absolutely exceptional last year. He did a lot of it on his own. Uh, He was very efficient. He was top five in yards per carry at 4.9. He led the NFL in big plays, let's just call it, so 15-plus yards with 18 of those and evaded tackles with 137. And a lot of his actual production, though, was driven by volume because Kareem Hunt had a 78% opportunity share, which is carries plus targets among running backs on his team. And Spencer Ware is coming back, and as much as, you know, I'm not a big Spencer Ware fan, and as much as a lot of people might not necessarily be, he's not Andy Reid Reid seems to be. So (laughs) in 2016 – Spencer Ware had a 70% opportunity share, which is pretty close to Kareem Hunt's mark last year. So if we assume that Hunt's still the lead back, I'm sure it's going to be below 78% regardless. So even with good efficiency, breaking tackles, and all that good stuff, it's probably going to regress. And then on Rashad Penny's side, we've talked a little bit about it with the rookie draft. Uh, He has the absolute potential to be a three-down back. Excuse me. And so last year – the most telling part for me during the season was when Mike Davis was lead back. He was granted a 60% opportunity share, and that equated to about 14 touches per game, which was actually 12th in the league uh, on a per-game basis. So that's not bad. And if you think Rashad Penny is going to get less work than Mike Davis, I think you're fooling yourself. Uh, so Rashad Penny, I think, very likely to finish inside the top 12 in terms of total touches Um and especially on a, a, a percentage basis here, I think it'll be in the top 12 comfortably. So Penny can get a bunch of work. I think a lot of it comes down to whether CJ Procise is healthy and how much the Seahawks offense actually scores. But definitely possible. No, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, I think the Chiefs are definitely going to be throwing the ball more uh, with Mahomes and Sammy, Tyree, Kelsey there, Spencer Ware, certainly not dead. Even Charkandrick West is certainly not dead. They also have Damian Williams, who was a little bit of a uh, – had some stretches of production over in Miami. I liked him. Yeah, no, he had he had his moments. So I, I definitely see Kareem Hunt regressing. He's still going to be, you know, an RB1 by far, but that's uh, – I like that. That's, that's a really good prediction. That could definitely happen. Yeah, it's more of an indictment of Kareem Hunt than anything, I think, because he's being severely overdrafted. Absolutely. I, I 100% agree. All right, what do you got next? I will move to quarterback. 
All right. I will go. This is sort of a two-parter. I will say Cam Newton will finish the year as QB1, which is not that bold considering he was just a QB2. However, he will just be edging out Matt Stafford, who will finish as a QB2. That's bold. I love it. Yeah, I love Stafford this year. I guess I could start with Cam. Like I said, he was second overall. He only trailed Russell Wilson. I think Russell Wilson is going to regress. You look at his touchdown numbers from last year, and they're fucking bananas. I think he was responsible for 96% of Seattle's touchdowns. Uh, Something stupid like that. I think they're going to have more emphasis on running the ball, much like you just said with Rashad Penny. Uh, Someone else who was ahead or right behind Cam, you had Tom Brady, who's another year older and losing Edelman for four games. Uh, they have that draft capital that they spent on Sony Michelle, so maybe they run the ball more. Alex Smith was a top five quarterback. That will not happen again. Carson Wentz was up there. I'm not completely convinced he's 100% yet. However, as far as these guys go, I think he may be the biggest threat to this prediction because he's on just a, a great offense with a great offensive mind. Um, so he could definitely put up the, the passing numbers as well as the rushing upside. And then Kirk Cousins is also going to be a big threat. But with a healthy Dalvin Cook, I hope that the Vikings are leading in games, which will in turn cause them to run the ball more. So uh, Cam has a wide receiving core that we've touched on a bunch with Funches, DJ Moore, McCaffrey, Olsen, Curtis Samuel. CJ Anderson is there. He has probably one of the highest rushing upsides of any quarterback in the league, maybe behind Russell Wilson, depending on how you want to look at it. And then North Turner is the new OC there. So I expect Cam to air it out more. Um, I think he's going to do his thing. I could see him going for 4,000 yards, which I don't know if Cam has done in his career. But with his rushing upside, that's that's a great combination. And then Stafford, I guess, is the more of the surprising one here. It's another year under Jim Bob Cooter, which Stafford has been immensely successful with him as the offensive coordinator. He has one of the best wide receiving core in the league with Golden Tate. Uh, the podcast love Marvin Jones, Kenny Galladay, and Theo Riddick is one of the best passing catching backs in the NFL. They got improved offensive line play that they showed last year. And then they only faced a stacked box 18% of the time because there was just no threat of a run there. That's going to uh, increase. They're going to bring more people into the box to stop people like LeGarrette Blount, Carrion Johnson. That'll allow only one safety to be back. Stafford's going to take advantage of that. Galladay is going to be healthy. I like Stafford as the QB two this year. Wow, that is bold. I like it. I love Matthew Stafford. I think he's always underrated. Uh, I think it's a stretch to say QB two, but this is a bold prediction segment. So yeah, I mean he's just always consistent. He's gonna be a QB one. Period. No. He's gonna throw the ball a ton. Like there's no yeah. doubt about that. Oh yeah, he's gonna have four thousand yards easily. Yeah. All right, this one is sizzling. <laughs> that that was bold. <laughs> But your jaw might hit the floor here. All right, let's hear it. All right. So I have a couple others for quarterbacks in the article I'm working on, but I'm going to give you the absolute juiciest one here. Okay. So Jameis Winston, currently the QB 17. Marcus Mariota, currently the QB 19. And Dak Prescott, currently the QB 20, will all finish as top 12 quarterbacks. All three. I agree with two of the three. I know it's not Dak. Not, not definitely not Dak. <laughs> I know. All right. So here we go. So Winston was disappointing last year. He missed a couple of games. Uh, but on a per-game basis, 
he was not bad. His passing volume is pretty stable year to year. Uh, and then for, for Winston himself, completion percentage, yards per attempt, yards per game were all career highs last year. They've roughly increased each year. Uh, but I think it's pretty safe to say he's gotten better each year. And last year, his interception rate was also career low. So last year, the downsides, the only real bad thing was he was sacked more than previous years, and he rushed a little bit less than usual. But pretty much everywhere you look across the industry, projections on Winston have him throwing the ball a ton this year, uh, which you like. And last year, the Bucks ranked third in the league in passing plays. And Winston himself ranked in the top five in attempted air yards, which is air yards except for all attempts, not just completed passes. Um, so a lot of this is because Winston's going to throw a lot and he's going to throw deep because he doesn't give a fuck. And yeah. he's got Mike Evans and Deshaun Jackson and Chris Godwin and all these guys that we like. Uh, so he's going to throw the ball a lot. He's going to throw deep. And if he throws enough touchdowns, I think it's very easy to see how he finishes as a QB1. No, I I, he- I, yeah, as those three, I think Winston is definitely the guy with the, the most likeliness to be able to do that. Yeah. I want to hear your argument for Mariota. I know you're on board with that one. So Mariota, a little bit more challenging, I think, to, to most of the fantasy gamers. But uh, Mariota himself, his passing volume alone is not even bad. And so last year he ranked inside the top 15 in air yards, which I think would surprise a lot of people. And also his attempted air yards, so air yards of completions plus incompletions, all of his attempted passes. Uh, so that doesn't factor in rushing, which he and Winston both do to an extent. But top 15 just in passing alone, if he was a pocket passer with no rushing ability. Uh, so you add on to that the fact that last year he ranked sixth in carries per game, eighth in rush yards per game, and third in rushing touchdowns among quarterbacks. So he's one of the better rushing quarterbacks, which I think we all know. And sure. he did a good chunk of that with a bad hamstring. So I think we can expect those numbers to tick up a little bit when he's healthy this year. And, you know, we'll see if he needs to, but at the same time, I think it's reasonable to expect that he'll be a little more efficient with his legs. And even though passing volume, I think a lot of people imagine was low last year, it wasn't really that low uh, relative to a lot of the other quarterbacks in the league. And the big thing that really held him back was that his touchdown rate was 2.9%, which compares to 5 and 5.8% in his first two years. So Mm. not quite half, but almost half of his career average. Uh, and again, short career, so relatively small sample size. But at the same time, he hardly threw touchdowns last year. So if those tick back up a bit and he adds a little bit more on the ground, I think it's actually pretty easy to see how he finishes a QB1 as well. I could see him as a back half QB1. Yeah. And now uh, I, didn't, I didn't say top three here. I just said yeah, top yeah. four. Sure. But, convince, convince me with uh, with my like QB18. Okay. This is actually the easiest one. No, and it's not. It is. It is. Absolutely is. Dak has been a QB1 two years in a row. That's it? Yeah. No. It's not. <laughs> but that's all you should need, right? It's He's not. done it Done it twice. So in 2016, he was QB7 in points per game. 2017, QB12. Uh, so mid-range QB1 and back end QB1 two years in a row on a per-game basis. Uh, obviously, we want to benefit some of the guys that missed with injury. Um, So he's going off as the 20th one this year, as I said, which makes absolutely no sense. And his supporting cast is obviously going to be weak this year, which a lot of people see as a bad thing, but at the same time, that means he's probably going to have to run the ball more, Uh, but even without running. So like I did with Mariota last year, Dak Prescott was 16th in the league in pass attempts, 11th in air yards, 15th in attempted air yards. So 
pretty much middle of the pack volume just from passing alone, even if he was a pocket passer without running. But as we know, Dak Prescott also runs, and he ranked in the top 10 in rushing attempts, top five in rushing yards among quarterbacks, and he led all quarterbacks in touchdown, rushing touchdowns. So if the rushing production is still there and the passing volume is even average, which is pretty much exactly what it was last year, average passing volume, decent passing efficiency, and then a good chunk of rushing, that made him a backhand QB1. And so I, I think it's very easy to see how all of that, you know, translates into this year is pretty much the same. And the only thing here that I noted as a downside of Dak was that he was sacked at a 6.1% rate last year, uh, which was pretty high. And so with Elliott back and potentially a better offensive line this year than last year, fingers crossed, I think things look, things look pretty good. And he finishes his QB 12 last year. So if anything's an upgrade, which I think a few things are, and I don't see that much as a downgrade other than losing Jason Witten, uh, I think things look pretty good for him. I don't see, you know, how he's QB 20, much less outside that back end QB one range. All right. Well, we'll agree to disagree there. I feel like every episode we'll have a disagreement about that. <laughs> We're just going yeah, to disagree about that every episode. But <laughs> until the end of the year, when he's going to finish as like, you know, he'll finish as that QB 12 probably. But, right. I mean, how, how many years in a row does he have to do it before we start to believe? Uh, Three. I'll believe after this year if he does it. With this right. with this wide receiving core, I'll buy in if he could finish as uh, QB1. Mark it down right now. Winston I'll, QB10, I'll, Mariota 11, Dak 12. I'll put it on the show sheet. <laughs> 10, 11, 12. Um, so I say my third one, my wide receiver, uh, I think it's bold. I think it's bold in the running back or the quarterback one. I said that Antonio Brown will not be a top 10 wide receiver. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, I know. This was that, a stretch. I'm going to try and make it work. That is sizzling. Yeah, and it has nothing to do with injury. I, I don't like predicting injury for anybody, so I, I didn't play that into it. But here's my here's my argument. I think that teams will be formulating schemes to try and stop them. I think it's going to be that just double team consistently. And I know he's shown that he could beat double teams, but I think teams are going to make an extended effort to stop him. I think that the emergence of Juju – with the James Washington there, I think they're going to play bigger roles. So Roethlisberger is going to spread the ball around more. And then even with Vance McDonald and Jesse James, you know, the I think Vance McDonald had a good playoff game. They could be receiving threats as well. Uh, Le'Veon Bell is still going to demand a high workload, so he's going to get his. And I think that the Steelers are just an overall really, really good team, especially on offense. So I think they're going to be leading many games, which hopefully will lead to less passing. But here's my biggest argument is here are some of the wide receivers that finished outside the top 10 that I expect to move up. Devontae Adams finished as the wide receiver 13. Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs both finished outside the top 10. Mike Evans finished as the wide receiver 20. T.Y. Hilton was the wide receiver 24. Amari Cooper was the wide receiver 31. And Sammy Watkins was the wide receiver 32. So those are, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven guys that I think could – move up a lot. I think Devontae Adams is a lock for a top 10 wide receiver. I think Mike Evans is going to find his way back up there again. So people got to move out. I mean, there are people that I got that have to fall out of the top 10. Antonio Brown is a year older. He's going to be 30 soon. I think he's 29 now. I think so. Yep. Uh, so that's, that's what I'm going with. And Roethlisberger is also, I think he's 35. So he's not going to be able to continue to play at the level he's playing at. If he even stays healthy, 
where if I'm going to predict an injury, I think he's the safest one to predict one for just because his body seems to be breaking down every year. Uh, I understand that that's bold, and I'm probably going to be way wrong. He's probably going to finish as the wide receiver one again, but I'm going outside the top 10, back end wide receiver one, maybe a, a front, front end wide receiver two. Bold. Yeah, that was a reach. I, look, it's it's not bad, and your reasoning is solid for a lot of them. But for me, the biggest thing I disagree with on that one specifically is that the emergence of Juju Smith-Schuster and potentially the Vance McDonald taking a step forward and James Washington, all that to me draws attention away from Antonio Brown. Not that teams won't be queuing in on him, but it's going to be very hard to double-team him, especially I, when you've got all those other weapons. I, I think that – see, I disagree. I think it's going to be like what we saw with Julio – or, or uh, what we saw at the end of the year with DeAndre Hopkins last year, you're going to have a safety over the top of Antonio Brown's side, you know, constantly. Where I, I think that, and they have a new offensive coordinator there now too. So I, I just, I think they got to spread the ball around more. I, he'll probably end up with a thousand yards again. Oh, he'll definitely end up with a thousand yards again. Probably twelve hundred. I just, I don't think he's going to have the touchdowns that he had last year. I don't know. It's it's. I'm trying here. I'm reaching. I'm grasping for hey, this is We're supposed to be doing bold takes here, so like, yeah, there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. We'll see. Yeah. All right, so I, I don't even know which one here I want to talk about, so I'm just going to tell you all three from my okay. article here, and I'm, you can I'm, tell me which one I should go into. All right. So I've got no wide receiver on the Cleveland Browns will finish as a top eight team wide receiver in fantasy football. I've got Jamison Crowder. Wide receiver 38 and Marquise Lee, wide receiver 49, will both finish inside the top 24. Well, I agree with that. And Kenny Stills, wide receiver 54, will finish as the top 30 wide receiver. I would go with the first one. I think everybody's all over Kenny Stills right now because no one likes Devontae Parker. All right. And, all right. Uh, and I like the Browns one because, I mean, Jarvis Landry is a former wide receiver one. Everybody loves Josh Gordon. Uh, I think that's a good one. All right. Here we go. So, as of now, Josh Gordon is being drafted as the wide receiver 12 and Jarvis Landry wide receiver 25 for PPR, which Wait, to me – Josh Gordon is being drafted as a wide receiver one? Yeah. Woo! That's why this is bold. Wow. If, if he wasn't being drafted that high, this wouldn't be bold. But Josh Gordon's going as a back-end wide receiver one. I did not know that. And Landry's going God. as wide receiver 25, just outside the wide receiver two range in PPR, which Jesus. just beside the point, that makes no sense to me. No. But anyway, so – if you exclude Odell Beckham Jr. since he only played four games last year, Josh Gordon finished as the wide receiver 31 in PPR points last year, 11.5 points per game. Jarvis Landry is actually the wide receiver five, so this is a little bold even if you exclude ADPs for this year because Landry had 16.3 PPR points per game. Uh, so obviously the biggest concern is the addition of all these weapons in Cleveland's offense and mm -hmm. some of them just returning. So you've got Josh Gordon, you've got Jarvis Landry, Corey Coleman, who knows what we'll see from him, but they drafted Antonio Callaway as well, who I like a lot. Very talented wide receiver. We'll see if he can stay on the field. David Njoku, in theory, should be taking a step forward. Seth DeValve, also only a third-year tight end. Uh, people, I think, forget how young he is. Probably taking a step forward as well. Duke Johnson's back. They just signed him to a three-year extension. Nick Chubb, not a bad pass catcher. And Carlos Hyde, I mean, he's not a good pass catcher, but he was force-fed targets last year. So there is a lot of – a lot of, there are a lot of mouths to feed. There's a nice cliche there for you. A lot yeah. of people that are going to be demanding targets in this offense. And the other thing that it's 
I think important to consider is the Browns paid a decent price here to get Tyrod Taylor, a early third round pick. And that's not nothing for a guy that was pretty much written off by his former team. So I think they're very likely to start him and they've got a decent stretch of games leading up to the bye week, which is late this year. So I think they have a bye week 10 or 11, I forget which, but Tyrod Taylor could very conceivably start all the way through that bye week. Uh, even though they I mean, drafted Mayfield early. I don't know if you read saw any of the reports that came out today and yesterday, but they flat out said that Mayfield is just way behind Tyrod as far as picking up the offense. And, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, and, and his production as far as OTAs go. So, yeah, Tyrod's definitely going to be the starter. Yeah, uh, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, Tyrod Taylor is very underrated. I think people have written him off with no real reason to do so because he's been very good his whole career. Uh, but he has never thrown – even north of 450 pass attempts in a year. And so I just did some back of the napkin calculations here for this and don't come at me with projections because <laughs> I haven't, I don't do real projections here, but so let's, let's just say the Browns throw 500 pass attempts because I'm assuming Tyrod plays the majority of the year and Mayfield will probably throw more uh, once, once he starts playing, but let's just say 500. Okay. So last year, if you just take everyone's targets per game, very boring and add them up, Josh Gordon had eight and a half, Jarvis Landry 10, Corey Coleman 6.3, Duke Johnson almost six. Down the line, including Njoku, Seth DeVal, and Carlos Hyde. If you add all those per game averages up, project them out to a 16-game span, that's 701. Browns are not going to throw anywhere near that pass, that amount of passes. And I know not everyone will play 16 games, so that's not quite fair. But at the same time, that's significantly more than – the pass attempts they'll actually throw. So I gave them 500 pass attempts. I just broke it up into some nice easy numbers and gave Josh Gordon 100 targets, Landry 125, Corey Coleman 40, Antonio Callaway 60. These are the less interesting guys. But I did give Duke Johnson 80, which I think is quite reasonable. David Njoku 60, assuming he takes a step forward, and then 35 for everybody else. So pretty round numbers just to make this easy. Uh, but the two that I think we really care about for this prediction, Josh Gordon, 100, Jarvis Landry, 125. So that's 7.1 and 8.9 per game, respectively. That is one and a half less for Josh Gordon than last year and 1.2 less for Jarvis Landry than last year. And that's a bad sign because volume is king, as we all say, and that's absolutely true because last year of the top 18 wide receivers in PPR scoring, None of them had fewer than 105 targets overall, and only two of them were below 114. And those were Tyree Kill and Marvin Jones. Mm. And those were pretty easily explained because uh, Tyree Kill was second in the league in yards per target, so he was incredibly efficient, and top 15 in touchdowns. He had seven on the year. Marvin Jones, pretty much the same story. Top five in yards per target, so very efficient, a lot of deep balls, and then top three in touchdowns. He had nine, so... Both of them very efficient and scored a lot. So this is not to say that Gordon and or Landry can't finish top 18, but with that kind of volume, Gordon is going to have to be incredibly efficient or go comfortably into double-digit touchdowns. And if Landry has that volume, it's pretty much impossible. So he's going to have to see a significant uptick in volume from that 125. And like I said, these aren't real projections, just kind of back of the napkin, but it's, it's, I think more likely than not that neither one of them finishes inside the top 18. No, that's, that's definitely bold. I like your reasoning. It makes sense. Uh, plenty of targets to be had there. Um, Got to expect it to be spread around. So I like it. Uh, we're going to have to write these down and revisit them at the end of the year when we have episode 
uh, let's go with 45. I don't know how many <laughs> we have until then, but I figured that'd be a nice number to round it to. Was my Browns rant long enough there for you? I know uh, I just like went off on that for a second. No, no, it was good. I mean, you had details. It was, it was, uh, I liked it. It was a good argument. It's a little more eloquent in the article. I was just kind of spitballing some things here and there. So go, yeah. go, go read the article when it comes out. I'll tweet it out. But. Yeah, definitely. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for this show. Uh, next week, please join us. We're going to have our first Fuck It, We Did It Live show guest when the one and only Scott Fish joins us, uh, the creator and commissioner of SFB8, ambassador for Fantasy Cares, host, co-host for Bull Rush, Commission Possible. I am sure I am forgetting many of his accolades, but I will be sure to write them all down for a fucking awesome intro to him next week. Uh, it's going to be exciting to have him on. If you have any questions at all that you want us to ask Scott, please don't hesitate. We will be talking about the SFB most likely the entire show, unless anybody has any requests for us to talk about anything differently. Uh, Mark, you have any closing comments? No, man, I'm good. All right. So then, Again, you can find me on Twitter at that guy from Jers. Jers spelled with a fucking Z. Mark, you can find him on Twitter at Leopold NFL. We will be tweeting out the show tomorrow morning when it gets published. Look out for some articles. I have one on my love, Ito Smith, coming out soon, who I'm surprised did not make it in my first round mock. <laughs> uh, and then you can look out for Mark's bold predictions article that he will be tweeting out too. Until then, I look forward to talking with Scott next week and hope you all enjoyed the show.